Hello and welcome to Season 2 of How to Win Arguments with Numbers. We look at how statistics can inform our understanding of the human world. I am your host, Jack Bridgewater. Today we talk to Professor Shane Singh from the University of Georgia about compulsory voting. What happens when attending the ballot box is mandatory. Enjoy. If you could begin by answering the question, um, what, what is compulsory voting? Okay, so actually there is some debate about what compulsory voting is. So most compulsory voting laws are written in a way that suggests that all a voter has to do is show up to the polls, cross their name off of the list, and then go into the booth and do whatever they might do. And so that includes casting an invalid ballot or just simply leaving the ballot blank. Um, so some would say that compulsory voting is really just compulsory attendance. Others would say that compulsory voting, you know, in spirit suggests that one has to go and cast a valid ballot. But I would say most people who study compulsory voting think of it more as compulsory attendance. Now, that being said, most people that are compelled to vote, even the people that would stay home under voluntary voting, evidence suggests that they actually, most of them actually do cast valid ballots, right? So... Uh, invalid voting is higher where voting is compulsory, but most people that are compelled to vote do cast valid ballots. Okay, so I'm sensing that it's not necessarily a dichotomous issue then. There is some debate over what constitutes compulsory voting, so there are some countries that would fall into kind of gray areas. Yes, uh, I think that's right. Um, you know, there, there are articles in Australian law journals about this very question. Is it compulsory voting or is it compulsory attendance? And I don't think there's strong agreement there. But like I said, I think most people who study compulsory voting would say, well, it's really just compulsory attendance. Uh, and and it, the question might be irrelevant anyway in that the ballot is secret almost everywhere where compulsory voting is used. Uh, uh, maybe the exception is North Korea. And so no matter what people do, you know, we're not going to know what they're doing in the voting booth, right? You know, when I was kind of looking into this issue, there's a lot of obviously normative discussion as to whether governments have the right to, uh, you know, force people to vote or to attend the, the, the voting booth. So do you think one of your roles as a, you know, someone who works in statistics as a quantitative researcher is to see how we can move past these normative questions of, of should it be done? and to look at what happens, you know, when it is done, the, both the intended and the unintended consequences? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, that's absolutely the case. I do not see it as my role to take a normative position uh, on, on the value or the justifiability of compulsory voting. Uh, to, I'm very much just concerned with the, the impact that it might have on turnout. Well, that's sort of obvious, but as you just suggested, like the ripple effects beyond turnout, uh, we need to know more about perhaps unintended consequences. And when we discover these consequences, then they may inform sort of normative debates about the value of compulsory voting. Obviously, the big normative concern would be, does it, uh, you know, does it increase turnout? And the answer seems to be Yes. Yes. It does. Right. <laughs> yep. So beyond, beyond the um, you know the obvious that it increases turnout, 
why are some of the other reasons that people would want compulsory voting? Okay, so are there some unintended consequences that might be valuable for democracy, right? Uh, sure, uh, there are some, but there is debate over this, right? So, um, well, one that there's not a lot of debate about is that compulsory voting helps to iron out disparities in the voting population, right? So where voting is voluntary, things like age, income, education level, uh, ethnicity have a pretty strong association with voter turnout, right? And so in, in a place like the United States or the United Kingdom, you might see a big disparity in, in uh, turnout among richer people and poorer people with richer people voting more often. Uh, and in turn, that might make politicians more responsive to the needs of wealthier people, right? So it's pretty clear, and there's dozens of studies that show this, in fact, and very few that don't show it, uh, that compulsory voting helps to iron out these disparities. So where you have compulsory voting, the, the difference in the turnout rate between rich and poor people, between um, minority ethnic groups and majority ethnic groups, between the educated and uneducated, uh, th th those start to go away. So we have more equal turnout uh, under compulsory voting. So that is potentially a desirable thing. Um, another more disputed uh, potential effect of compulsory voting is its educative impact on the voter, right? So going way back to the 1800s, uh, this was mentioned in debates over the introduction of compulsory voting in, in Belgium and in Australia. Uh, there's this idea that if you force people to vote, then even if they're uninformed, uninterested in politics, they'll start to get informed and they'll develop an interest, maybe even become more civically engaged. Uh, and so there have been, you know, a handful, maybe maybe 10 or so studies on the impact of compulsory voting on, you know, political engagement and sophistication. And what's interesting is the results are inconsistent. There are three or four that show that everybody, or at least a subset of the population, becomes more informed when there's compulsory voting. Um, and then there are other studies that show no relationship at all between compulsory voting and, and political sophistication. So on that question, the jury is definitely still out. Um, so yeah, but those would be the two broad, potentially beneficial effects of compulsory voting beyond increased turnout. That, that is the more equal turnout and then this more debatable idea that it uh, provides a voter education or uh, political education. So those are some of the effects for citizens. What, what are the effects you found or other, other scholars have found on parties? How does it change how parties interact with citizens and with voters? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so the literature on the impact of compulsory voting and party behavior is less developed than the literature on its impact on individual level attitudes and behavior. But, uh, and so, so far, what we have found is that vote buying might be less common under compulsory voting, right? And so uh, there's a couple reasons for why this might be. So first of all, uh, there, uh, there are a few different kinds of vote buying. So there's uh, something called positive vote buying, where you would try and uh, purchase the preferences of people. So someone who might vote for the opposition, you try and get them to vote for you, right? And then there's negative vote buying, whereas you might purchase, uh, you might pay off someone who is in opposition not to vote at all, 
And then there's turnout buying, which is simply you find people who are probably going to vote for you, they're unlikely to vote, and you pay them to vote. Well, compulsory voting quite simply gives people an added incentive to turn out to vote, right? I mean, if they don't vote, they're going to, in most places, get a sanction, a fine of some sort. So that makes vote buying less necessary for party, uh, positive vote buying, and, and it makes turnout buying uh, less necessary for political parties because people have this added incentive to already turn out. And it also makes negative vote buying more expensive because if somebody's going to say get a $20 fine, like in Australia, if they don't vote, well, then you have to pay them more to stay home, right? So negative vote buying becomes less common. And uh, positive vote buying, it, it might also become less common if it is indeed the case that voters are more sophisticated or more politically interested under compulsory voting, then it's going to cost more to purchase their preferences because they're probably going to hold on to those preferences more dearly, right? Now, the flip side of that, and there's some literature that would suggest this, is that there's no, educa no educative effect of compulsory voting. And in fact, people who are forced to vote might be a little bit upset, might not have strong preferences. They're only voting because they have to. And if that's the case, those people should be willing to part with their preferences relatively inexpensively. And so this positive vote buying might actually become more common uh, under compulsory voting, right? And uh, research has, you know, it's, it's found evidence for a downward impact of compulsory voting on vote buying. And also there is some evidence that it might increase vote buying. So again, the jury is still out uh, in, in this regard as well. Um, and, and some, some recent research that, I, that I've just uh, published more broadly shows that parties are more likely to campaign on programmatic or, or policy-based issues uh, where voting is compulsory, right? And so the, the main theory behind that is that they have to, to cast a wider net, right? If, if, if compulsory voting truly does iron out disparities in the voting population, bringing the less educated, the less informed, but also the more educated, the more informed, the, the wealthier, then parties need to sort of be more programmatic, cast a wider net rather than targeting just some specific groups. And so I've found some pretty compelling evidence uh, that, that parties are more likely to be policy-based in their campaign strategies um, where voting is compulsory. Okay, that's interesting. So politicians, who, how they conceive of themselves and some see of themselves as responding to uh, the constituents and some see, you know, that their job is to respond to, you know, the country as a whole. So what you're saying is perhaps that compulsory voting means that these smaller groups that politicians may conceive of may start to disappear because they have to now respond to the entire electorate rather than just yeah. individual Groups. Yeah, I think that that follows from what I said. I think that, you know, uh, core constituency groups, that, that special interest groups, that, that these subsections of the electorate are, are probably less important for politicians to respond to where everybody is more likely to vote. Right. Uh, I think that's the mechanism driving this pattern that we see uh, of parties being more policy based under compulsory voting. Right. So, you, you know, you, you kind of said that this, the, the supply side of the literature on, on how parties are responding is, you know, there's room for, for development there. And is, is this, you know, the literature on compulsory voting, is it 
a more recent development or is there a long history and where do you see the role you know where can we expand our knowledge and what what's the kind of next frontier yeah so that's an interesting question so in fact people have been studying the impact of compulsory voting on turnout for quite some time now uh i i think this has probably been going on the earliest study is probably from the 1920s and 1930s right and then there are more studies of the relationship between compulsory voting and turnout going into the 70s, 80s, 90s. There have been some meta-analyses of all these existing studies. And so we know that it increases turnout. But to your question, the research on the effects of compulsory voting beyond turnout is relatively recent. In fact, I would say it's really taken off in the last five to 10 years. Uh, and now it's, you know, it's not well developed in that it's nascent, but there are, you know, Every month or two, I see a new study on the impact of compulsory voting beyond turnout. And like I said, most of this literature is on the individual level effects. So political sophistication, invalid balloting, the extent to which voters' preferences match the, uh, the votes that they cast, and so on. Um, and so in terms of the next frontier, I do think that we need to have more studies about how the supply side, about how parties respond to compulsory voting. I mean, I just discussed some studies about party responses, but there are only really three or four such studies, right? So um, I think we need to know more about the supply side, to use your terminology. I also think that we need more studies about where compulsory voting comes from, right? Why? Why do some countries adopt compulsory voting? Uh, it might be that it's a sort of historical accident or more plausibly, maybe it could be that there are some systematic reasons why certain countries adopt compulsory voting. And, you know, there, there are some papers floating around uh, about the, the origins of compulsory voting. And there are some good sort of historical analyses of the origins of compulsory voting, but there's no sort of Public, there, as as of present, there's no rigorous published article that like systematically examines what leads countries to adopt compulsory voting. So I think we need to do that. Uh, I also think that we need to work a bit more on, on identifying the causal impact of compulsory voting. So, you know, and this is where the sort of the quantitative element is going to be more helpful. Uh, you know, we, we, we have lots of correlational analyses that show that countries with compulsory voting you know, have higher turnout or have more equal turnout or whatever. Uh, and they might control for some variables in a multiple regression framework, and that's fine. Uh, you know, there's definitely a place for such studies. Uh, but to tr more rigorously identify the causal impact of compulsory voting, we need to identify some, like, some natural experiments or some, some, some sort of randomization process that happens in nature. We need, we need to exploit that, right? Um, and so... And so to this end, there are a number of studies that leverage these compulsory voting cutoff ages, right? So in in many Latin American countries, if you're over 70, then you don't have to vote anymore while, while you're compelled to from age 18 to 69, right? And so and in other countries that people 16 and 17 don't have to vote, but people over 18 do have to vote. Uh, there's some cutoff ages in, in Europe as well, in, in, in some cantons in Switzerland and, and in Luxembourg and so on. And so when we leverage these cutoffs, we, it's sort of a natural experiment. The idea is that somebody just below the age of compulsory voting and just above the age of compulsory voting, these two people on average should be exactly the same. 
except for the requirement to vote. So we can leverage those cutoff ages to get more causal leverage as to the impact of compulsory of compulsory voting. Lots of studies are already doing those, uh, are already leveraging those cutoffs using what's called regression discontinuity analysis, um, but there's still more to be done. Those cutoffs give us a powerful exogenous uh, uh, compulsory voting assignment, and, and we need to do more to leverage those, I think. <clears throat> okay, and, and that was, you know, that was going to be my next question as well, is that do you think um, compulsory voting is particularly difficult to study um, in a kind of a lab environment, as it were, because a lot of, um, you know, a lot of political science research is moving in, in the direction of experiments, some natural experiments as you talked about, but also some lab experiments or survey experiments. Uh, I, I would think that compulsory voting, because it's by, by nature, um, you know, something that you that is very specific to the relationship between the voter and the agreement, you know, the fine or whatever. Is it something that is difficult to study in a lab um, or, or, is, or is there room for that as well? Well, I hope there's room for studying it in a lab, but I, I agree with you that it's difficult to study in a lab. And there have been, I'm aware of three or four studies, mostly from, economic, from, from the economics field that try to study compulsory voting in a laboratory setting. And so they induce people to vote. And, and so, you know, some people, they, they, they give this external requirement. There's some sort of laboratory-based penalty uh, for not voting. And so those are the compelled voters. Um, and then they also somehow assign voters to have preferences, right? They have to prefer blue over red or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. And then they examine whether people who are compelled to vote are more likely to vote in line with their preferences are, or are more likely to vote at all. Um, but I mean, there's problems there with external validity to use the, the, the jargon from the experimental literature, right? In, in that, uh, you know, is someone's behavior in a lab, you're really going to generalize beyond the lab. And what voting in a lab, it's not that hard. You're already sitting there. Voting means clicking a button, right? And if, you know, someone, some experimenter, the person running the experiment might assign me a preference for the the blue team instead of the red team, but does that really generalize to political preferences that I might have developed since I was a child, right? And so, I mean, I, I am, I do not have any problem with lab experiments. I, I, I find them to be welcome in the social sciences, but, and I hope that there's more lab experiments on compulsory voting, but I do think we need to take their results with a grain of salt and any findings from the lab, I think also need to be tested outside of the lab. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm most excited about these sort of natural experiments that exist uh, with regard to compulsory voting, because there you have the randomization, or at least the pseudo-randomization, and you've also got clear external validity because you're dealing with actual voters in, in the real world. Just to wrap things up then, looking at the broader picture of compulsory voting, it seems to me as if we're unlikely to see it suddenly adopted in, in certain, you know, we know how slow the, the changes in democratic processes. So is it the case that, you know, the continued study of compulsory voting is going to be restrained to the countries that already do it, or perhaps new democracies that, that pop up and begin to use compulsory voting? Or can you see 
you know, can you see certain established democracies beginning to adopt compulsory voting? Well, that's a great question, right? So you're, I think you're absolutely correct that institutions are sticky and they don't change that often, right? Voters and politicians tend to prefer the institutions that they're familiar with, right? Uh, now, that being said, we've seen some movement in compulsory voting in just the past 10 years. So to give some examples, uh, Chile got rid of their compulsory voting rule about seven, eight years ago. Uh, Cyprus did away with their compulsory voting rule last year. Uh, Fiji got rid of theirs in, I believe it was 2012. And then at the same time, Bulgaria adopted compulsory voting in 15 or 16, although the, the high court there has put it on hold for the time being. Uh, the Pacific Island of Samoa has adopted compulsory voting. It looks like it's going to be implemented in 2021 for their next election. Uh, two Indian states have uh, adopted compulsory voting for uh, local elections. So um, while I, I stand by what I said about institutions being sticky, uh, we are seeing some movement, um, even in countries that have had compulsory voting for quite some time, like Cyprus. And, you know, Chile had it for, oh, about 20 years before it got rid of it. So there is a movement. And, and you know, you said you asked about as new democracies form, uh, might we see them adopting compulsory voting? And, and I think that that could be the case. I mean, in many of the many of the Eastern European countries that uh came out of the fall of communism, the new Eastern European democracies that came out of the fall of communism, they elected to have semi-presidential systems and mixed member electoral systems, systems that weren't that common, uh, you know, at that time, right? And and now, um, you know, mixed member proportional representation and semi-presidentialism are rather, are, are not uncommon in the world. So it could be that as the world continues to democratize, that countries might look to compulsory voting as, as the way to you know, in, increased turnout and so on. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I, I can't predict the future, but the trend does not, <laughs> the trend does not seem to be that compulsory voting is, is going away. Uh, for every country that abolishes it, it seems like another is adopting it, it either nationally or subnationally. Uh, and so I think it's, it's here to stay. And I, I suppose, you know, this is entirely speculative, but as we're seeing, you know, tr trends, in democracies, you know, certain democracies we're seeing very low turnout. Um, one of the possible solutions, because, because, you know, we don't know how low turnout can get, for instance, especially in the US, uh, for, for me, and, and, you know, it, it might be interesting to see if, you know, obviously compulsory voting isn't going away. So will it, if we enter a new era of low turnout, will it be seen as the solution to, to some of those problems? Yeah, maybe. Uh, not in the U.S., though, I, I don't think. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, probably I not. Think, I, I think the U.S. Is, is probably maybe one of the most difficult places for compulsory voting to ever uh, be implemented in, in that. Uh, the, so I think many people in, a, in the U.S., and there have been some Supreme, Supreme Court cases that might be interpreted to uh, support what, what I'm about to say, the idea that the freedom of speech, which we hold so dearly in the U.S., also implies a freedom not to speak, and a freedom not to speak might translate into a freedom not to vote, not to express yourself. Uh, and so I think it would be very hard to uh, convince the American public of the utility of compulsory voting. And in fact, when President Obama 
spoke favorably about Australia's compulsory voting rule uh, the year before he left office, the news, most of the news sources, most, you know, Fox News and, and other networks were not super happy about what he said. Um, and I think that, you know, that sort of captures the general American sentiment about compulsory voting, right? So maybe places like maybe some European countries with voluntary voting would be more ripe for compulsory voting. And, you know, like I said, I don't take a position one way or the other about whether countries should have it. There are certainly other ways to increase turnout, right? If you look at the Scandinavian countries, they've all got very high turnout and none of them have compulsory voting. So it's not the only way to increase turnout and maybe it's not the best way to increase turnout. Yeah, having said that about the US, I'm, I'm now thinking about how unpopular that would be. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I withdraw that, that uh, comment. But yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and uh, that was great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. This has been How to Win Arguments with Numbers, which is a production by the Q-Step Centre at the University of Kent. Thanks again to Professor Shane Singh for coming on the show. Next week, we look at leaders of political parties. What is their role in democracy? And are they more important now than ever?